So the Methodists were famous for their singing. Like they were a singing group. And our current United Methodist hymnal, in the front of it, there are directions for singing. They're, they're John Wesley's directions for singing. And I want to read a couple of them. He says, this is direction number four. Sing lustily and with a good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. And singing direction number four, excuse me, number five. Sing modestly, do not bawl, so as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation, that you may not destroy the harmony, but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear, melodious sound. Now, the thing about what John Wesley believed about worship, and in this case about the singing in worship, was that it was to be done together. Like this, this beautifully woven fabric with our, our voices. Um, and his conviction about worship was that worship was supposed to unite people. And so, you know, there can be this tendency for um, the preacher or the musicians to become elevated above everybody else. And you, you've got then uh, not a, a, a congregation at worship, but you've got a crowd of, of spectators. In John Wesley's uh, 1939 hymnal that he wrote, uh, in the preface of it he says, The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. Now, there's no question that my personal holiness matters. I mean, that's what we've been talking about up to this point. When we've been asking the question, what would John Wesley and, the, and those early Methodists say to us as we try to navigate through um, our own pursuit of holiness, our, our, our trying to figure out what it means to be the church? You know, we began with the conviction that we're to, to slip away. Jesus would slip away by himself, away from the crowd. Um, John Wesley uh, encouraged uh, his, his folks to, to pray, to find this quiet place and encounter God and encounter the heart transformation in that place. And then we saw last week the importance of the small group. Jesus named his own small group. The small group was at the heart of the, the Methodist revival. And I'm convinced that that's the reason the Methodist Church still exists today. That you name your group and you, you surround yourselves with, with friends um, who will watch over your soul. Uh, you watch over one another in love. And, and this subject of, of worship as it relates to the singing, but, but, but worshiping together as a group. So it clearly matters what happens inside the building, but it also matters what happens outside the building. And so John Wesley left the building. He actually got kicked out of the building. <laughs> he was so passionate about people and a lot of the stuff that he was doing in ministry was, was causing friction with the church community. 
and even with his colleagues. And so uh, it got so bad um, that he wasn't allowed to, to preach in a lot of the, the churches um, in England. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus, uh, he frustrated his religious community. He didn't just frustrate them. He made them angry, angry enough for them to plot his death. And Jesus was kicked out of his home synagogue, and they even tried uh, to push him off the cliff. It was crazy. So John Wesley, he, uh, he gets on his horse, and like he rides all over England, um, even up into Scotland and Wales and stuff. And um, he would take the gospel, but he would go uh, to the center of the town, and he would stand on the steps and he would preach, or he would uh, get on a platform or a, a soapbox, or he would stand on, on someone's gravestone, and, and he would preach to the crowd this, this gospel of Jesus. And obviously, there were many people who were drawn to it, who were changed by it. I mean, like, that's what it means when we say there was a, a revival happening, like souls were being transformed. But the other side of that was, there were a lot of people um, who were angry, who could not receive his message for, for one reason or another. And so like the mobs would, would attack him. Uh, John Wesley would get beat up all the time. They would throw stuff at him. Like they would throw eggs and rotten vegetables. They would throw manure. Um, they would even throw rocks at him. So you say, why would he do this? He did it for decades. And it's because John Wesley knew that God loved people and that God wanted all people, not just some people, but that God wanted all people to be saved and to belong um, and to be loved. And so, you know, our, our text for today, Jesus, he sends his disciples, like they're to, they're to leave the building too. And you know, it's an, it's an interesting text because it says he gave them power and authority over demons. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that. I wonder about that. And I typically think about this, this power that Jesus gave them as miraculous power. You know, like the power to walk on water or the power to heal a blind person instantly. You know, like that kind of power over demons and this ability to, to cure diseases and sicknesses. But I wonder, what if it was the power and authority that we're born with? We're, we're born with that sort of thing, you know. Um, we have power over demons. Uh, we can claim authority over evil. Uh, what are those demons? I wondered about what those demons were in John Wesley's 18th century. Um, you remember last week we talked about um, the importance of, of the small group and, and getting together uh, in the small group. And we talked about that, that very first small group that was formed at Oxford. You know, they were called the Bible Moths. They were called the Holy Club. Um, that group. They gathered 
to watch over each other's souls, you know, we talked about that. They, they wanted their faith to be stronger, their prayer life to be better, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Well, that group, they started leaving the building. Um, they started visiting the prisons because one of them, uh, William Morgan, he said, hey, we should go visit the prisons. And so they did. Uh, they visited the prisons every week. And I think it's important for us to know that they were not only concerned about prisoners' souls, they were concerned about prisoners' well-being, um, about their living conditions. And so prison reform uh, became a focus of, of these early Methodists, something that they, that they fought for. Um, and it didn't stop there. This small group, they would leave the building to, to take care of elderly people. Um, they were particularly concerned about the poor, and especially poor children. And, and education was important. Um, some of the gr great educational institutions that, that first emerged in our country um, were because of the Methodists. I mean, it's a really cool thing. So this small group, they pooled their money and they hired a teacher uh, to teach these poor kids and give them an education because they believed that education um, was, was a ticket to a, a better place. Now, we've talked about George Whitfield along the way. George Whitfield was a member of that very first um, small group uh, in, in Oxford. Well, he, uh, he wrote John Wesley a letter about 10 years after you know, the, the formation of that group. Um, and he, he invited John Wesley to, to come to Bristol to preach with him and to be in ministry with him. Now Bristol, Bristol was a town of about 50,000 people. It was located about 100 miles west of London um, and it was a, an, an interesting place. Um, it was the center of the slave trade and that's a big deal. Uh, the, the, the shipping port there was, was huge and it, it employed so many people. Um, but there were about 2,000 slave trading ships that would come in and out of Bristol. So they would take um, uh, English goods and they would go to Africa and they would trade English goods for slaves and then they would sail to, to America where they would uh, trade the slaves then for stuff like cotton and tobacco and, and sugar and, and that sort of thing. And, and then they would come back now they would come back to, to, to Bristol. On the eastern edge of Bristol was, was Kingswood. It's this village of Kingswood. And it was also what, you know, the area where, where the coal mines were. And so uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield um, were, were preaching to the folks here. And they were, they were drawn to the working class poor. They realized that so many of these, these folks um, from the from the the ports and the the shipping industry to the to the coal mines, like they were living in such poverty, and they were they were kind of not being impacted by the existing churches, and so they need they knew that they needed to to do something there, and so both of them felt this conviction um, because of these poor kids who weren't able to go to to school, uh, both Whitfield and Wesley, um, and and they they built a, a schoolhouse. Uh, and it, it was not only a place for education, uh, but, but it was also a, a preaching house. And I read this cool thing. There was a, an old cannon factory in London 
Um, and they took it over and it became what they called the foundry. And at this foundry, there were all kinds of new expressions of, of ministry where, where the church was, was reaching out to, to, to the community there in, in the city of London. One of the things that, that John Wesley did was he started um, providing loans to people, like, like micro loans is what we might call it today. And so in that very first year, uh, they gave loans to, to over 250 people uh, to help them uh, on their way. Um, and just like at, at Kingswood in Bristol, they, they uh, started a school primarily for the kids, uh, homeless kids, uh, who, who were on the streets. Probably the biggest demon that John Wesley in particular, but certainly the Methodist, uh, went after um, was slavery. I read that, that John Wesley's very last letter that he wrote, not long before he died, was to, was to William Wilberforce, encouraging him to continue the fight against slavery. And so when Wesley was in his, I don't know, early 60s, um, he, would, he had always been passionate about it. And I'm sure because of his time in Bristol and, and seeing what was going on and the impact of it and his passion and love for people and for justice, uh, but he wrote this tract. It was a highly, uh, widely distributed tract that he called Thoughts Upon Slavery. And, you know, it just expressed his strong opposition to it. Well, in 1788, he was 85 years old. He preached a sermon in Bristol. And many of the Methodist people in Bristol, like, they made their living off of the slave trade in one way or another. And so Wesley preaches this, this sermon where um, he really went after it and really opposed slavery. And he wrote in his journal about after preaching this sermon against slavery. This is going to blow your mind. It was March the 3rd. That was a dump truck. March the 3rd, 1788. He wrote in his journal, The people rushed upon each other with the utmost violence. The benches were broken in pieces, and nine-tenths of the congregation appeared to be struck with the same panic. His sermon started a fight within the church. They were breaking the pews. It was crazy. So Wesley knew about division. He knew about religious conflict. He knew about what we're going through today. We're a divided church. We're trying to find our way. And maybe we're not breaking the pews and hurting each other physically, but we're certainly causing harm with our words. We're causing harm with the way that, that we close doors. And so what would Wesley say to us? Well, there's an interesting dynamic about um, Wesley's life, really his upbringing. Now, there was a lot of religious division in his own family. And when, when you read his history, um, both of John Wesley's grandfathers on his mom's side, dad's side, they were what they called dissenters from uh, the Church of England. And uh, they were influenced greatly by the Puritans and 
So that was kind of a big deal back then. I mean, a lot of times there was, there was even violence over it. Um, and so they refused to, to use the, the Book of Common Prayer. They were expelled you know, from the church. Um, so, so that was on one side. And then John Wesley's parents, both Samuel and Susanna, they were actually quite loyal to the Anglican Church. And, and they held tightly to the Book of Common Prayer uh, and made sure that, that all of their uh, churches uh, would use the Common Prayer. And so Wesley, interestingly enough, with, with this, this family influence and this family division on both sides, he kind of went about his way, what they call the Via Media or the middle way. He found this middle way. That was like the posture that, that he took. And to me, it's fascinating. Um, let, me, let me read to you. Um, Adam Hamilton wrote a book called Revival. Um, and, and a lot of these stories um, he shares about in his book. Uh, but, I, but I want to read this section. Uh, Adam Hamilton writes, How did these family conflicts affect John Wesley? Uh, Wesley adopted a posture that is often called the middle way that found truth on both sides of the theological divide. He was a cleric of the Church of England, yet he embraced many Puritan expressions of faith. So, he worshiped in the high church tradition, yet he opened preaching houses that were filled with rousing hymn singing and very little liturgy. He had the ability to value and listen to people on opposite sides of the theological divide, to find the truth that each possessed, and to chart a middle way embracing the best of both sides. I love that. He preached a sermon once and he entitled it The Catholic Spirit, uh, meaning uh, the universal spirit. And this is what he said. Though we can't think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt, we may. When I wonder about the demons of our day, the evil that we're facing, and I, and I wonder about what we should do, I know that Jesus would send us right into it. Jesus would tell us to leave the building. And John Wesley, he would tell us to leave together. So let's do. Let's get on with it. Amen.